You're listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast supported by Harvest Partners. For more ways to deepen and challenge your spiritual walk, enroll in Pastor Greg's free online courses. Sign up at Harvest.org. Let's say you said, I am now a surfer because I bought a surfboard. But you don't surf. You're not a surfer. You're a poser. What we say or do may be a facade, a false front. Pastor Greg Laurie says, make sure your faith isn't a facade. The only way to be a Christian is being born again, where you choose to believe in Jesus. But you can't just say, from now on, I'm a Christian, and just sort of do Christian-y things without Christ. This is the day when the lost are found. experience putting our best foot forward, a first date, a job interview. We let people see the best side of ourselves. Is it who we are? Well, some version of who we are. But God knows all the versions of who we are, and we can't fool Him when it comes to where we stand with His Son. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie urges us to consider the genuineness of our faith and walk with God. We'll learn how to put our best foot forward toward eternity. Turn to the Gospel of John. And here's the title for my message, How Not to Be Born Again. Now I didn't make a mistake. That is actually the title, How Not to Be Born Again. I'll explain why I chose that title in a few moments. But John chapter one is where we're going to begin. So why did John write this Gospel? He actually tells us in John 20, 31. He said these things were written that non-believers might believe. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Whenever I talk to someone who says they want to start reading the Bible, you might be surprised to find I don't say start in Genesis. Not that it's a bad thing to start in Genesis, but I often tell them to start in the Gospel of John. And the reason I say that is because it was specifically written so a non-believer could believe. So I think it's a great place for a person to start and of course a great place for anyone to start who wants to read through the Bible. And I'll tell them to pray something along the lines of say to God if you're real make yourself real to me as I read this gospel. In 21 chapters John proves that Jesus is the Son of God who should be followed. Number two, John's gospel was written that we as believers might experience more of his life in us. Let me say that again. John's gospel was written that we as believers might experience more of his life in us because he says that believing you may have life in his name. So John wrote the gospel for those who already believe because the word that he uses there for believing speaks of a continual action. In other words, John is saying the more we believe, the more life we will experience. Thus John wrote to convince the skeptic, but also to convince the believer and the commitment they've already made. So the Gospel of John 
And the way it begins is amazing because he goes way back before the little town of Bethlehem. He goes way back before Mary and Joseph. He goes way back even before the Garden of Eden. He goes back to the solar system. He goes back to the beginning of the beginning. So that's where we're going to start. John chapter 1 starting in verse 1. We'll read verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. So we'll stop there. Now this is interesting because there's not a definite article before the word beginning. Meaning you cannot pinpoint this moment in time where there was a beginning. <laughs> So really when he says the beginning, we, we don't even know where that starts. But John is taking us back to eternity past, further back than the human mind can imagine. And that brings me to my first point about Jesus. If you're taking notes, uh, and here it is. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's a really important thing to understand and believe for a Christian. Jesus is God. Before there was a world, before there was planets, before there was light or darkness, before there was matter, before anything else there was the Godhead and there was Jesus. Jesus Christ, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus is God. That by the way is an essential for Christians. There's no wiggle room here. Uh, if you don't believe Jesus as God, to be blunt, you can't be a Christian. Because who is he? Just a great man, a prophet, a guru, what? Uh, Jesus claimed to be God, and for us to be genuine Christians, we must believe that he is God. Jesus was fully God, but just as true as that is, this is also true, Jesus was fully man. How's that possible? I'm not really sure, but he was fully God, and he was fully man. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ, who had neither beginning nor end, who has always existed, came to this earth as a living, breathing human being. He who was larger than life, he who created the solar system, became an embryo. He went from the throne of heaven to a feeding trough. That's effectively where he was born there in that manger or that cave. He went from the presence of angels to a cave filled with animals. I think it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the idea of deity and humanity in one person. Well, a good example of this would be Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee. He was tired from a day of ministry and, and fell asleep. And a radical storm came pitching the boat back and forth and they, and they were waking him up saying, Lord, save us or we will die. So what could be more human than falling asleep, right? But then what could be more, uh, as an illustration of deity, than the fact that he stood up after they woke him up and calmed the storm? Probably because he wanted to go back to his nap again. So I think people try to wrap their minds around God. It's not an easy thing to do. They consider his attributes. God is omniscient. 
As God is omnipotent, that God is omnipresent, that God is sovereign, that God is righteous, and God is holy. And those things are all true. But if you really want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. That's it. What's God like? Look at Jesus. What does God think of children? Look at Jesus. Taking the children into his arms and blessing them. What does God think about that? Look at Jesus. He is God among us. Basically, he was God with skin on. God had a face. Jesus became one of us without ceasing to be himself. God, who became a man, shined his light on humanity. Look at verse four. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. I don't know about you, but before I was a Christian, I thought man was basically good. And that's why I was so confused about life. Because in the 17 years of my life on earth, I'd seen so many bad things. I'd seen things no young boy should ever see. I was exposed to the worst underbelly of people and things they did. And, and I thought, well, if man's basically good, why do people do such awful things? And when I became a Christian and I realized man was not basically good, but he was sinful, everything started making sense, right? And this is clearly what the Bible teaches because despite all of our advances, uh, technological advances, scientific advances, and we can point to all these things, yet how much have we really changed? We've made no progress whatsoever in the basic ills of the human condition. Crime, violence, war, injustice, racism. If we would just get back to what God said in His Word and how to live our lives, things would change overnight. But we disregard these things. We even mock these things. We even persecute people that believe these things. I'm not saying we do as Christians, but others do in our country. Verse nine, this is the true light that gives light to every man coming into this world. Now this is important because this verse is sometimes misunderstood. Uh, sometimes I've heard it stated as follows. Well, there's a light in man. We all have the inner light. And that inner light is in every person and we need to discover the inner light and the inner Christ. And then we need to go to hot yoga together. I don't know, just, I, someone told me today, I couldn't believe this. They said, I'm gonna go do yoga with goats. I, I'm not making this up. You, has anyone heard of this? I say, you're joking. No, I'm not yoga with goats. Like, How does that work? Well, we, we're doing yoga and the goats just walk around. <laughs> okay, have fun with those goats. But that's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying we all have an inner light. It's not speaking the light in man. It's talking about God's light shining on man. And there's a big difference. Now, it is true that God has placed eternity in the heart of people. We're told that in scripture. What that simply means is there is a sense in every man and woman that there's something more in life. And that's why we go on a search in life. But it's a search that hopefully will lead us to Christ. And the Bible tells us that we have a sense of conscience inside of us. In the book of Romans it says our conscience will accuse or excuse us. Romans also tells us we have the testimony of nature all around us. But uh, ultimately, verse nine, this true light gives light to every man. So when you run into people that say, you know what? 
I'm seeking the truth and I want to know the truth. Here's my thought. If they really want to know the truth, they'll find their way to Jesus. So if they say, I want to know the truth and I'm seeking truth. Hey, that's awesome. I know it's some truth. I have some truth right here. Jesus said, I'm the, put the Bible away. I don't believe in that, you bigoted narrow mind. Whoa, 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 whoa. Thought you were seeking truth. I am. Put it away. Don't hold it up like that. Put it away. <laughs> See, they're not seeking truth. If they were seeking truth, they'd at least give a fair hearing to the Bible. But to reject it out of hand shows they're not seeking the truth. If a person is really seeking the truth and seeking God, they will find their way to Jesus. You say, but Greg, how do you know that? Because God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Pastor Greg is bringing a message today called How to Not Be Born Again. And he'll explain why he chose that title in just a moment. Hey, everybody, what are you doing this weekend? I'd like to hang out with you at Harvest at Home. What is Harvest at Home? It is a time of worship and Bible study exclusively designed for people that are viewing in from all over the place. So you can be a part of our extended congregation at Harvest at Home. Join us this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, for Harvest at Home at harvest.org. Well, today, Pastor Greg is presenting one of his most requested messages of 2022. Let's listen. So now let's wrap this message up. I gave it the very odd title, How Not to Be Born Again. Okay, so let's conclude now with How Not to Be Born Again, because we conclude with three ways in which you cannot become a child of God. And it's found right here in verses 12 to 13. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, you might underline that, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so here's how not to be born again. You cannot be born again of blood. What does that mean? It means if you're born into a Christian family, you're not automatically a Christian. Ah, some people don't know this, by the way. You know, you say, are you a Christian? My great-grandfather was a preacher. So, well, there's some Christian blood somewhere, I think. I don't know. Or even my parents are Christians. And they took me to church. That's great. Thank God for a godly heritage. Thank God for parents that took you to church. But it's not a blood. You're not born a Christian. You may be born into a Christian family, but the only way to be a Christian is being born again, right? Jesus said you must be born again, born all over again, born from above, technically. Nor is it the will of the flesh. A new birth into God's family doesn't come to you just deciding it. Now, there is an act of your will where you choose to believe in Jesus. But you can't just say from now on I'm a Christian and just sort of do Christian-y things without Christ. Let me illustrate. Um, let's say you said, I am now a surfer. And I am a surfer because I bought a surfboard. And you know, people when they buy surfboards and want to learn to surf, they always buy the wrong board to start with. They buy some short little performance board and you know, and they get their little wetsuit and they've got the right wax and they've got the stickers on the car and they can't get up on their board and they get discouraged so they hang it on their wall and that's the end, right? 
Or maybe you go down to the beach and you're, you're there with your board and you're checking out the waves. But the thing is you never go out. So you're not really a surfer. But you have a surfboard. You have board shorts. You have wax. You have a wetsuit. But you don't surf. You're not a surfer. You're a poser. <laughs> or maybe you're smart because there's 15 great white sharks out there right now. <laughs> then there's that. To be a surfer, even if you're not a great surfer, and I'm not a great surfer, but you have to surf. And to be a good surfer, you have to surf a lot. So to be a Christian, you have to come humbly before God and admit your sinfulness and turn from those sins and embrace Christ as your Savior and Lord. Nor is it from the will of man. It's not from the will of man. It's not just determination. Someone can't do it for you. I can't make you a Christian. I can't say on the count of three, you're a Christian. A priest can't give you a sacrament and say, therefore your sins are forgiven. Or anybody else. No one can do this. It's not the will of man. Someone can't do this for you. Only God can do this for you. Okay, that's how not to become a Christian. So how do I become a Christian? Verse 12, for as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So it's not by descent, it's not by desire, and it's not by determination. So how is one born into God's family? By receiving Christ. Not following a bunch of rules. From now on I'm gonna read the Bible, that's good, do that. I'm gonna go to church, that's good too, do that as well. But it starts with saying, God I'm a sinner, Jesus come into my life, forgive me of all of my sin. And then you read your Bible, then you go to church, then you do the things a growing Christian needs to know. You just receive them. And this is not complex by the way. <laughs> this is so simple a child can understand. You know if you walk up to a child and say, here I got this for you, it's a toy. Oh they get that really well. They'll grab that toy and they'll start playing with it. They might say thank you. But uh, they receive the gift. And that's what God says to us. Here's the gift. Uh, you can have it right now. Forgiveness of all of your sin. Just believe in Jesus. And you say, I want that gift. And the moment you receive it, it's yours. And you're born again. And you're a child of God. You say, well, how long does this take? Years? Months? Weeks? No, it doesn't even take hours. It can happen, I don't know, in seconds. It can happen in a flash. Just immediately. In fact, Listening to this message, it may have already happened to you. You came in here as a non-believer and I don't know what took place or what was said or when it transpired, but just somewhere during the course of this service, you believe, just like that. You just went, uh, I believe this. And it's hard to explain, isn't it? But it's like the lights went up. Now, when the lights go on, and you realize something is true that doesn't make you a believer, you have to act on it. Because the Bible describes conversion as having your eyes opened and then you turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So it's possible to have your eyes open and not respond appropriately. Because we've all met people that will say, I actually believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son. I actually believe the Bible is the Word of God. I actually believe there's a heaven and there's a hell. I believe all those things, but I don't want to follow Jesus right now. So their eyes were open, but they haven't turned from darkness to light. And that's a really important thing to do. Let me restate that. That is the most important thing you can do. Look, Jesus Christ is ready to forgive you of your sin. You say you're seeking truth. The truth is here right now. It's Christ who's alive 
who rose from the grave and is with us in this place. And he is standing at the door of your life and he is knocking. And he's saying, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he'll come in. Only you can do this. Remember, you're not born again by blood, meaning you're not born into a Christian family making you a Christian. You have to be born again where you say, all right, Lord, I get this now. I want you as my Savior. I want you as my Lord. I want you as my friend. I want this relationship that can happen for you right here, right now. We're gonna pray, and I'm gonna extend an invitation for you to believe in Jesus. And if you've not made this commitment, if you've not asked him in your life, respond, okay? Let's all pray. Everyone bowing your head. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying, laying your life down for us because you love us. And I pray for everyone here and everyone listening who does not yet know you, help them to see their need for you and help them to come to you now. We pray that your Holy Spirit will convict and convince those that do not believe to believe. In your mighty name I pray, amen. An important word of prayer from Pastor Greg Laurie. And if you'd like to make a change in your relationship with the Lord, before we go any further, Pastor Greg would like to lead you in one more word of prayer. Thousands have done this over the years, listening to our broadcast, and the Lord has changed our lives. And it can happen for you right now. This can be the moment where you change your eternal address, literally from hell to heaven. I'll pray a simple prayer, and I would just ask you to pray this prayer out loud if you like, after me, just pray these words. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. Jesus, I choose to follow you from this moment forward. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. And listen, if you have just prayed that prayer with Pastor Greg and meant those words from your heart, well, first of all, welcome to the family of God. And second, we'd like to offer some help as you get started as a Christian. We'd like to send you our New Believers Growth Packet. Just get in touch and ask for it. We'll send it free of charge to those making a first-time commitment to the Lord today. Call us at 1-800-821-3300. We're here around the clock to take your call. That's 1-800-821-3300. Or write A New Beginning, Box 4000, Riverside, California, 92514. Or even make the arrangements online by going to harvest.org and clicking on Know God. Well, Pastor Greg, we're so excited that your new film, Jesus Revolution, is coming out very soon. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's the story of Greg and Kathy Laurie, how the two of you met and began dating, set against the backdrop of the Jesus movement of the late 60s and early 70s. It's how you both came to the Lord. Yes. It's a great opportunity to bring a friend who needs to meet Christ. But as we invite a friend to come see Jesus' revolution, what should we say to them? Do we need to prepare them, you know, tell them a little bit about the movie? Do we need to share the gospel with them beforehand? Or, or do we just sort of take them in cold turkey, as it were? I just take them in cold turkey. The movie does all the heavy lifting. The movie unfolds in a powerful way. And 
It's it doesn't feel like a typical Christian movie. I'll put that in quotes because there are things that happen that you're thinking, wow, because it's a very honest movie. It's based on a true story. So it shows the search of a young Greg Laurie and Kathy Laurie, young kids going looking for truth in all the wrong places, looking to drugs, other things, not finding it, the emptiness of all that. And it shows it in real time and it unfolds the story. It also tells the story of two unlikely people coming together, a, a pastor of a church named Chuck Smith, a, a hippie evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee, and the result of them coming together resulted in a spiritual awakening called the Jesus Movement. But there's some real human emotions and, and powerful scenes that you will see where conflict and resolution of conflict, Greg taking care of his mother, uh, who was an alcoholic and would go from bar to bar and pass out every night. It shows the struggles of the young boy uh, later searching for himself and not looking in the right places, but ultimately finding his way to Jesus Christ. And so I think that the, just let the movie do its thing, to use 60s vernacular, <laughs> and, and just take him to the film. And and then afterwards, you'll have some amazing conversations. That's when you'd share the gospel. Mm, all right. Well, you know, most of us have friends, coworkers, family members who would never go to church with us. That's just a closed door. But they would go to see a movie with us. And what a great film to help them see the hope of the gospel in a whole new light. You know what? It's taken us over 30 years to reach 6 million people through our large-scale Harvest Crusades. But this film is projected to be seen by some 10 million people this year alone. It's such an important opportunity to share our faith. And you know, that's a responsibility God has given each one of us as believers. So plan to take a friend with you to see Jesus' revolution. And if you can help us continue to reach out with the gospel, we want to say thanks by sending you Pastor Greg's book, also called Jesus' Revolution. The subtitle is How God Transformed an Unlikely Generation and How He Can Do It Again Today. That's our goal, to see another spiritual awakening. So get in touch with your donation and ask for the book, Jesus Revolution. Our number is 1-800-821-3300. We can take your call anytime. Again, 1-800-821-3300. Or write A New Beginning, Box 4000, Riverside, California, 92514 or go online to harvest.org Well next time Pastor Greg brings another of his most requested messages We'll learn how to preserve harmony in the home insights from the creator of families Join us here on A New Beginning with Pastor and Bible Teacher Greg Laurie Thanks for listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Sign up for daily devotions and learn how to become a Harvest Partner at harvest.org.